are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. So we're in 21 days of prayer starting uh, 2022. And uh, some of you may say, I'm, I'm on the wagon, I'm with you, this is great. Uh, this last week, I feel like I prayed with a different intensity, or maybe you would say, haven't been praying, and I began praying this past week. You may say, I would like to learn more, grow more, do more than just this series. Good news, during the month of February, on Wednesday nights at 6 o'clock for those four weeks, Norm Henry will be teaching a class called Creating a Prayer Life. And so you may want to make note of that and sign up and get involved in it. I read a book recently by a guy whose name is Sky Jatani. Do you know him? He's becoming one of my favorite authors. The title of the book is, What If Jesus Was Serious About Prayer? So Jatani says, people pray for primarily one of two reasons. Number one, people pray because they ought to. I feel like I ought to pray. I know I should pray. I ought to be praying. He says, people who only pray because they ought to, deep down, probably don't believe that it makes that much of a difference in their life and that their life would not be okay if they didn't pray. In other words, people only pray out of obligation, probably feel like their life would be just fine if they didn't pray. I should pray, but if I don't pray, I don't think it's going to change that much. The other reason he said people pray is because they must. They feel like they have to. They feel like they've got to, not ought to. He said, so people who pray because they must, they kind of have this sense that like, um, I, I am so dependent on God. He said, you often see must to prayers praying in hospital waiting rooms. You often see must to prayers praying in hospital waiting rooms. Prayer is not an option. They are desperate for God's help. He said people who pray because they ought to kind of view prayer as uh, they do cologne or perfume. It's, It's a welcome descent in the air, but not necessary. However, people who must pray see prayer more like oxygen, the element in the atmosphere without which I cannot live. I'll say it again. People who pray out of obligation see prayer like perfume or cologne. It's a welcomed scent in the atmosphere that's not necessary. But people who must pray see prayer more like oxygen. It's the element in the atmosphere with which out I cannot live. He said, I think all of us are triggered at times to be must prayers, you know, because of, you know, fear or anxiety But then when life begins to go back to normal and we begin to gain an illusion again of control, we become ought to prayers again. But he concludes by saying, if we are ever going to have a deep relationship with God, we must realize again how much we depend on him and how much we need him. 
So since it's just us, I think I should ask you, how do you view yourself? Are you a ought to prayer? I pray because I think I ought to. I feel obligated to. Or are you a must prayer? You say, Rick, I don't pray because I think I ought to. I pray because I've got to. It's all about motive, right? It's interesting that when Jesus begins to teach about prayer, this is where he starts, motive. Motive, motive asks the question, why do you do what you do? So when it comes to prayer, why do you pray? It's all about motive. And Jesus gives us this example, an example about some hypocrites who pray. He said when they pray, they do it out on the street corners because they want everybody to see them praying. And think to themselves, wow, what a pious person. Look how they pray. He says, don't do that. No, when you pray, here's what you should do. You should go into a room and you should close the door and you should do your praying in secret. That's how you should pray. And so it's all about motive. Last week we talked about this 21 days of prayer. We're not doing it so we can say, check, I did the 21 days of prayer. Or to say to friends, hey, in 2022, the first 21 days, I prayed every day. No, it's about maybe somehow God aligning my heart with his heart. It's about really coming to know God. It's about entering into a deeper relationship with God. It's about God changing me. It's about becoming more like Jesus. That's the motive. That's why I want to do it. And so we talked about this finding a time and a place and a plan very early in the morning while it was still dark, using Jesus' examples. Jesus got up. He went off to a quiet place where he prayed. So you may say, I've got, a, I've got a time decided that's best for me to pray. And I've even got a place where I go to pray. It's quiet there. But I don't have a plan. It's like I want to pray, but I don't know if I really know how to pray. And so what Jesus does is he guides us in how to pray. You say, I've always wondered this Lord's Prayer thing we just did a moment ago where I left out one of the lines. Did you notice that? Yeah, you did. Just like me to do that. I've always wondered, is it something that you recite or is it more like a guide? Well, there's nothing wrong with reciting it. But as far as we know about Jesus' prayer life, we assume it was meant to be probably more like a guide to teach us to pray. And so, one thing we can be sure of, and it is this, as we read these words together, is that Jesus desires to guide us into an intimate relationship with God the Father through daily conversations. I'm bottom lining it right here, okay? This is what I want you to know. This is what I want you to leave with. This is what I want you to say. This is what the sermon was about today. That this whole thing with the Lord's Prayer is Jesus desiring to guide us into an intimate relationship with God through daily conversations. And that's what prayer is. It's a conversation with God. All right, so let's go to Matthew chapter 6. You want to? One day Jesus is praying, and the disciples say to Jesus, Wow, <laughs> we, we, we've never heard anybody pray quite like you pray. So would you teach us? How to pray like you pray. So what was it that was so different about Jesus? Well, number one, he calls God Father. Did you know that nobody, 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 nobody in the Old Testament ever referred to God as Father? Didn't happen. 
But Jesus calls him Father. It's, it's more like the word Abba that we would use today like Daddy. Pretty intimate. And in the first century, most Jewish prayers were recitations of Scripture. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength. That was a typical prayer. It was the Shema. And it was prayed in formal Hebrew, but not Jesus. No, when Jesus prayed, he prayed in the common dialect of Aramaic. And his prayer sounded way more intimate Kind of like a a dependent child talking to a loving parent. Daddy, could we talk about some stuff? And so the disciples said, "We, we would rather pray like you pray. And so Jesus teaches them to pray. So let's go to chapter 6, verse 5, okay? And when you pray, Jesus says to his disciples, do not be like hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues. And they pray on the street corners. Why? Their motive is they want to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you pray, let's talk about finding a place, okay? Go into your room and close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then the Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. For they think they're going to be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Listen to those words. Your Father actually knows what you need even before you ask Him. So this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And don't leave this line out, whatever you do. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So I got a text this week and it was from a guy who attends our church. And he says, hey, uh, I'm excited about this 21 days of prayer thing. And, uh, and I wanted you to know how my prayer time went this morning, okay? He said, I got me a cup of coffee, and I sat down at my kitchen table, and I'm looking out the window in my kitchen. And, and I just say to God, God, it seems like to me that most of the time when I pray, I do all the talking. It's just what I do. I, I do all the talking. And so, what I was wondering today, God, is if maybe I don't talk so much, and I do more listening. And he said, I felt like God was saying to me, that's good. Why don't you just sit here with your cup of coffee at the kitchen table and look out the window and just listen and just be in my presence? And then he writes in the text, the reason I'm sending this to you is because I want you to know that that time spent with God this morning restored my soul. It was awesome. So, so what if? (laughs) Just, just for a minute, go with me. What if, 
What if that is actually the purpose of prayer? I mean, just what if, what if that is what it's all about? But what if that, in the very heart of God, if that's what He intended when He wanted us to pray? What if it was like, I just want you to enter into this intimate relationship with me. I just want you to be in my presence. I don't mind you talking some, but I want you to listen some. And I just want you to walk away with your soul renewed and refreshed. See, I think it's interesting that when Jesus talks to us about praying, he says, what I don't want you to do is just babble on and on these empty words. Pagans do that. He said, don't, don't just keep babbling like the pagans. It's this idea of meaningless repetition. I'm saying words, but they're not in my heart. I'm saying words, but they don't mean anything to me. I'm repeating prayers that I've repeated all my life, and they really don't mean anything to me. Don't do that, he says. The idea of the pagan gods was that they didn't want to hear you pray anyway. And so what you did is you just kept on and on and on. And you just repeated words over and over again trying to get the attention of some god or some goddess. And finally they would just say, okay, enough already. Shut up. I'll give you what you're asking for. Just stop it. Jesus says that's not what God's like. He doesn't make you plead. He doesn't make you bargain. He doesn't make you beg. In fact, he already knows what you need, even before you say it. If God already knows what I need, before I say it, then what is the purpose of praying? Why would you pray? I mean, I think it's challenging us to ask ourselves the question, could there be more to prayer than me informing God what's going on in my life and then trying to get him to do some stuff on my behalf. Is, is there more to prayer than me just kind of, you know, say, okay, God, here's what's going on. Here's what's up. I remember my daughter, Brittany, used to call me when she needed something. She'd say, okay, here's the deal. And I feel like sometimes when we pray, it's like, okay, here's the deal, God. Is, is, is it more than just informing him about everything that's going on in my life and then you know, trying to get him to do some stuff for me? What, 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 if it's, what if it's more? What if, what if God wants to do more for you than answer your prayer? What if God longs to give you something far greater than answered prayer? What if what God wants to give you is himself? Intimacy. Friendship. Love. His presence. Because this, I believe, is where we are, okay? Prayer isn't about informing. I mean, think about it. The, nothing is hidden from God, right? It, it's not like we're going to tell God something He's going to say, no, shut your mouth. What? You know, He already knows. It's not like we're going to tell God something. He's going to go, I am shocked. Did not know this. Nothing is hidden from God. Prayer isn't about informing or even controlling, trying to bend God to do what I want Him to do. What if prayer is more about an intimate relationship with Him? It's coming to know Him. So this whole, you know, idea of time and place and plan and all of that, you know, I think it's really good and it's needed, but it's not the ultimate goal. 
if you say, hey, Rick, good, good news. Uh, you challenged me last week to pray every day, and so got up a little bit earlier, found me a place, set aside a time, and I've been praying every day, and it's, and it's great, you know. And, and the idea is not that I will do that, and, you know, last week we talked about, you know, 15 minutes is 1% of your day. If you say, I'm going to do it for 15 minutes, okay, I did my 15 minutes, and I'm good for the day. No more praying today. I got that out of the way. You know, check it off the list. No. The goal is greater than that. And let me give you the words of Dallas Willard. He says, don't seek to develop a prayer life. Rather, seek a praying life. What does that mean? He says it's to integrate our communion with God into all that we do and into every moment of our day. And so in the morning, I spend time with God, but the goal is that throughout the day, that time I spent with Him would inform the rest of my day. And throughout my day, I would find myself communing with God, integrating communion with Him into everything that I do, into every moment of my day. Let let me tell you what it looks like. I read a story this week about Dr. Billy Graham. And so he, in 1982, is in New York City, and he's going to be live on the Today Show. Okay? It's a live interview. And so... He gets to New York City, and they send a car for him that morning from the hotel. They drive him over to the studios, and when they get to the studio, a stagehand says to his assistant, we have prepared a special room for Dr. Graham so he can pray before the interview. We've set it up really nice for him. And the assistant said, that's not necessary. And the stagehand was like, he doesn't need to talk to God before he goes on live television for a live interview to be viewed by millions. What? And the assistant said, oh, let let me explain to you. And with kindness and love, Dr. Graham prayed when he woke up this morning. And he prayed while he was eating breakfast. And and in the car that you sent for us, on the ride over, he, he prayed in the car. And I can promise you that during the interview, Dr. Graham will be praying. That, that room you've set up is just not necessary. It's, it's that idea of praying without ceasing. It's where our thoughts become prayers. And instead of me thinking, I'm concerned about her. It's, Lord, I'm concerned about her. And instead of, I don't know what to do, it's, God, I'm not sure what to do in this situation. It's, it's where communion with God becomes integrated in every moment of our day. And we live with this unbelievable awareness that God is with me. And prayer becomes constant communion with Him. That's the end goal. And so it's not, I ought to pray. It's, I've got to pray. So one of the great blessings of me living in Oklahoma City, these almost last 10 years, is an even closer friendship with your former pastor, Dr. David Busick. We get to spend time together. And uh, he's been writing quite a bit in these last few years. And he wrote a book recently, and he gave me the manuscript to read. It's not printed yet. 
So I read the manuscript, and it's awesome. It's, it's a book about prayer for pastors. So I called him after I read it, and I said, I've only got one problem with your book, and that is that it shouldn't be for pastors. It's really good stuff. It should be for everybody. So let me let him bridge where we are in the Scripture to where we're going in the prayer, okay? David says Jesus knows that if he can pull back the curtain and let them, meaning the disciples, see the heart of the Father for his children, a Father who doesn't make us beg and plead and bargain, then prayer will come as naturally as breathing. Listen to these words. Our image of our Father will determine the way that we pray. It's a true story. So think with me a little bit. If somebody could pull back the curtain for you, and you could just see the heart of God and His love for you, and He's not asking you to beg and scream and yell in prayer and bargain with Him, would praying feel differently? Our image of the Father will determine the way that we pray. And so when Jesus says, this is how you should pray, you know what the first two words are? Our Father. It's this idea that we have this loving Father. Now, I said earlier that nobody in the Old Testament called God Father. But Jesus does. And He says, you should too. I I mean... I'll just have to go back and look at my notes real quick, but go in the room, close the door, and pray to your Father. He says, your Father knows what you need even before you ask Him. And then He says, when you pray, here's what you should say, our Father. I could give you a picture of it if you want a picture, but I don't, I don't have to give you the picture. It's only if you want the picture. You, you'd have to say, we want the picture for me to give you the picture. If you want to pay, it's not on me, it's on you then, because you're asking for it, right? But, but I think this is a great picture of what it looks like. Yeah. I, I'll be honest with you, I don't have a better picture. This is my only granddaughter, Sadie. And this is at Christmas a couple of weeks ago. And when we're sitting around, that's how we sit. We sit close. I don't have words to give you for the depth of my love for this little girl. And nobody in the world understands it but Annette. She's the only one who loves Sadie like I love Sadie. It scares me to think what I would do for this little girl if she needed it. I don't know what limit I would be willing to go for her. And and isn't she a doll, by the way? See... Here's a picture of what Jesus is trying to say in his teaching. So you might have grown up with a father that wasn't very loving. My my prayer is that God will give you the grace to replace that picture with this picture. And so when you pray, I mean, think about, think about yourself as Sadie and think about God as who I represent in the picture. It's this loving, I would do anything for you. 
our Father in heaven. Do you know that heaven and the Old Testament is always connected with power? The God of heaven, power and might are in your hands, the psalmist says. So it's not only a loving father, but it's a loving father who has unlimited power resource. He has the ability to do anything. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He is holy. He is like no other. He is righteous. He is pure. He is good. He is God. He is light. He is love. I mean, if you're going to go ask somebody for some help and you really need some help, I mean, don't you want to go to somebody who is an upright, trustworthy person? You say, Rick, I don't mind to pray that way, but I'm just going to love with you, man. When I pray, I got needs, all right? And I need to get to the needs. Here's the problem. When you begin your prayer with, Lord, please do this for me, what are you focused on? You're focused on your problems. But when you begin with, oh, that picture of me and Sadie, In heaven who has all power and who is holy, now your focus is on God. Do you remember the story of David and Goliath? Everybody, everybody, everybody is talking about the giant. You know who David's talking about? God. Everybody is focused on the problem, not David. He's focused on the solution. And then he says, just pray this prayer of commitment and surrender. Your will be done on earth. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you remember when Jesus said, you know, you focus sometimes on what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear, clothes you're going to wear, what you're going to drink, all that kind of stuff. What if you just said, I'm going to seek first his kingdom. Jesus said, then all that other stuff God will take care of. That will be added to you as well. When you talk about the kingdom of God, you don't say, there it is. You don't say, there it is. No, it's within you. It's when you come to this place in your life of saying, God, I'm praying with Jesus. Not my will, but your will be done. So if you're not catching up on all of that, I'm going to say it in a very simple way. You ready? Rick, when I go in that room and I close that door and I pray, How long should I stay? I'm going to answer your question with a question. How long does it take you to surrender? How long does it take you to say, God, it's not about my little kingdom. It's about your kingdom. I'm not going to hold on so tight to my kingdom that I miss out on experiencing your kingdom. Here's what I'm trying to say. What I learned from Jesus this morning is that prayer is a lot less about changing God's heart, getting God to do what I want Him to do, and it's more about God changing my heart. Way less about me trying to change God's heart, and it's way more about God changing my heart. That's why I pray. I'm desperate. I need God to change me. And so I can't pray because I ought to. I pray because I've got to. 
I need him desperately. Let me wrap up with this. Uh, read recently an article with Louis Giglio who talked about a survey done among millennials. So if you're 22 to 37, I think, are the ages, you would be a millennial. Okay? How many of you are millennials? Raise your hand really high. 22 to 37. Bunches of you. He says, we polled millennials and we asked them, what is the single greatest thing that has helped you to grow in your faith? Number one, greatest thing helped you grow in your faith. Do you know what they said, number one? Number one. Prayer. My prayer life is what helps me more than anything else grow in my faith. What helps you grow in your faith? So here we are, and God is here. His presence is with us. And we celebrate His presence and the fact that any time of the day, anywhere we are, we can say God and His presence is near. And so we celebrate the presence of Jesus this morning in communion. Would you want to reach down below your armrest and just pick up the elements that are there for you? And if you open the one with the bread and prepare to eat and drink with me, Do you know what I felt like a lot of my life? I felt like I've fallen short in my prayer life. A lot of my life. And I've always believed that I need God's grace to be a person who prays. And so today we receive His grace that He provides for us. And so in a moment, when you eat and when you drink, imagining, imagine God's grace, just receiving His grace into your life. So maybe just, God, teach me to pray. Maybe the prayer that you pray in these next few moments. So when He was with His disciples, He took the bread and He broke it. And He said, this is my body broken for you. Eat it, all of you. And he took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for the ransom of many. Drink it and be thankful. So Lord, we pray for grace as we celebrate your presence. Teach us. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.